Hey everyone, welcome back to another JLXP midweek episode, and <clears throat> there is a lot, a lot to talk about. A lot has happened since Sunday night to now Wednesday night. Um, and as a quick note for the channel, I have done a lot of solo podcasts recently. I still plan on having guests on JLXP in the future. It's just, I think with the back-to-back four-day LCS weeks and all the other content obligations that all the other analysts have. Scheduling has just been really hard, especially as well with people traveling out to Chicago for finals. It's additionally hard to find the time to come into the podcast, but I still have what I hope to be a very compelling podcast because there is some pretty interesting stuff to talk about. So this one is going to be more than just the 10 thoughts and more that I have been doing on the Thursday morning podcast for the past split, because there was also the LCS top 10 players of all time that was released, in case you missed it. There was a pretty cool video that I was actually out in Chicago like two weeks ago filming, um scripting some things to say about each player to try and make it a little more hype. But I know the people that enjoy that video and just see the list and fight about the list are generally a different crowd than the people that are going to listen to this podcast. So I have a little bit of theory on how lists like this should be made. And then also I will share the list and my own list. So it is the top 10 players of all time in the LCS the actual list that was released, if you haven't seen it and you just want me to read it out here, number 10 was Blabber, number 9 was High, number 8 was Aphromu, number 7 was Sneaky, number 6 was Core JJ, number 5 was Jensen, number 4 was X Smithy, number 3 was Impact, and then Drumroll for 2 and 1, Doublelift was 2, Bjergsen was 1. I would say my personal votes are a little different. I put Doublelift number 1 over Bjergsen. Impact matches in third with what everyone else aggregate voted. I put Jensen in fourth, actually. He was fifth in the aggregate. I put Sneaky at fifth. He was seventh in the aggregate. Uh, I put Aphromoo sixth, X Smithy seventh, Core JJ eighth, Blabber ninth, and then Vulcan tenth. I think a lot of the tenth placed votes on this didn't end up making it into the top 10 of all time. And for those of you who don't know the way that these lists were actually made, they did release, finally, everyone who voted on it, as well as who they voted 1 through 10. So you can check that out. It's on lolesports.com. If you find the top 10 players of all time, you can then kind of scroll down and click the link to ballots. I'll also throw a link to the description to like specifically everyone's votes. <clears throat> um, before I get into this, I do want to just... It's, it's a little bit unrelated, but it's just my personal opinion on how lists like this could or should be made because I've had a bit of experience with it. You know, back in the day, I had, I had some influence over these things. So in 2016 spring, for those of you who remember that, that was the last split where EULCS and NALCS All Pro just dropped who was first team, second team, third team, and then like scurried away. So at the time, there was still a panel of people who voted to have those votes gathered and compiled, 
but it never lived anywhere. Those votes all stayed private and you only saw the end result. You didn't even see like how close it was. So you could have literally a first team player, like one vote ahead of a second team player and you would never know. So I actually made the system for 2016 summer, which I think is still the system that NA uses for all pro voting today. And I'll lay it out how it works and then explain why I want it to work that way. And then I'll compare it to some other things. So the way it worked back in 2016 summer was I had one, I had like different blocks of people to vote to account for biases because bias is always going to exist in any voting block. There was basically a set of riot casters and then other riot people. Like I think there was a producer vote and a stats vote. All told, there were 13 ballots that got filled out. There were eight ballots for third-party media. So these were people that ran like Oracle's Elixir or someone from Yahoo and then like Travis Gafford and all those people had their own ballots. And then I also did 10 player votes, which was like a player representative from each team to try and get the player perspective. And then 10 coach votes to try and get the coach perspective. So basically 20 people that are in the scene competing and then 21 people who are watching it unfold with a breakdown of different groups who are watching it. Because Riot talks to each other so much, you get a little bit of groupthink there. And then I think third party also probably communicates more with other third party than they would necessarily with Riot. So there's possibly a little bit of bias there or just like people that are siloed. And then the players and coaches can all have their own bias. So the idea there was like, take all of those biases, they will kind of correct for themselves to give you a smooth aggregate. And then that will hopefully give you the most realistic results. I think for the most part, it has been like an improvement to the system because especially if there is like a troll ballot or a really bad result, like people can go through and figure out like who they want to blame and who they did well. And I think it's a pretty good balance. The other way you can do these things is how we did world's top 20 in say 2017 and 2018. So another little bit of history, the original world's top 20s back in like 2015 yeah, 2014, 2015, got really flamed. And that was because it was generally like a kind of a group of people or there was like one writer at Riot who basically put this list together and he just like gathered a bunch of opinions and kind of made a list and then like listened to people argue about the list and then just pushed it out. It was a really bad process. There was no ballot or anything. And it was supposed to be like the official top 20 players at world. So that was considered not a good product, but I wanted to restart the product back in, I believe it was 2016 when we did the first one. And I think you have holistically kind of two choices when you're trying to do like prestigious awards. You either do the wisdom of the crowd where you're trying to pull in a massive amount of opinions to hopefully get this very credible list. And another tangent about this, actually, when I was on the design team, there was, uh, this was about a year before I joined, actually, there was a designer who was just trying to get better at predicting the win rate change for a specific balance change. 
So what he'd do every patch is there would be win rate estimates for each patch change, and he'd kind of send out a survey to other designers and other playtesters, and everyone would put in their guesses, and then he would track how accurate those guesses were. As the legend goes, there were two people who were most accurate. There was the wisdom of the crowd, which is the average of everyone's votes. Everyone else was below the wisdom of the crowd in terms of accuracy of predicting win rate percentages. And then Medler was the one person who was better than the wisdom of the crowd. And it's fitting because he was like the lead designer of League of Legends. So it was kind of like maybe a cool flex that he was able to do it. But when we did World's Top 20 to jump back in 2016, it was just too daunting for me to try and figure out like what 95 international people I needed to try and make this really complex top 20 list, especially um, like who would be qualified to have knowledge of all these regions and have watched all these players and could give a specific judgment. Plus it's this like heavily debate style list. So we literally just picked three people. Um, it was, I believe the first one was me, Deficio, and Spawn. I, I really hope my memory is holding up there right. Me from NA, Deficio from EU, and Spawn was at the time, I believe, casted a lot of LPL and was a huge international one. Getting an expert from Korea at the time was just logistically difficult and like some random budget stuff because the other two were already coming over for world's play in or for the draw show and we're like we can just use them maybe i shouldn't reveal that level of, of intricacy but i think that actually did work like i think having those three people and then we all did our own top 20 lists and then we could make a video kind of detailing the pros and cons of why we put each person where and we basically you we sold our own credibility to lend credibility to the list so even if we wouldn't have the same list as the wisdom of the crowd there was at least credible sources who were telling you why it is right. So that is one of the ways you can make things to, to be received well and also still have fairly accurate lists if you're getting like top, top level experts. And then the other way is just get like a massive amount of people to account for biases and also just get that wisdom of the crowd feeling. Okay. The biggest controversy in the current top 10 LCS players of all time is the double lift versus Bjergsen debate. One thing that I do want to show about the world's top, sorry, the LCS top 10 panel is that I, I counted it up just now. Four casters, two producers, so what the old school would be called like six riot, three coaches, six third-party media, two team owners, and then 23 current and former pros. So in terms of the balance, even though people are so used to these lists being very like narrative or media driven, this is more of a pro vote than basically any list ever. So keep that in mind when you're trying to figure out who put Bjergsen first or who put Doublelift first. Personally, as I said, I voted Doublelift. I think it's actually pretty close, even though and the people, obviously, you can exaggerate opinions online to make your, your arguments seem crazier. Like, the reason I put Doublelift there is because he won 
with three unique franchises. He has the most titles of any LCS player ever. And he also was the focal point of that Team Liquid team for a solid four splits when they had the most dominant stretch ever. But that's not to say that Bjergsen doesn't also have like the most absurdly good resume. The dude won four MVPs. And it's not like he's far behind double lifting titles. And I think what's really kind of weirdly illuminating going through the votes, like why would the players put Bjergsen above double lift by and large? Part of it, I think, is because of how dominant Bjergsen was when some of the, because some of the former players played a lot back in 2014, 2015. Bjergsen was so far above the rest back then that I think the fans of today forget that. And they think of the current Bjergsen of the last three or four years, who's just been above average. And there also might just be people that don't like Doublelift. They just didn't like his personality. He did get kicked from multiple teams after winning titles. And one fun, one like mild tidbit that is interesting about this is the two owners, uh, Steve and Jack. Steve put Doublelift fourth and Jack put Doublelift fifth. It's like the two lowest rankings of double lift of, of any voter are the two owner votes. I think, just want to double check. There was one really weird ballot. Yeah, Dyrus's ballot who tweeted recently like, oh yeah, he hasn't watched League in several years. He also had double lift one, two, three, four, five in fifth as well. So that's, that's as low as double lift got voted. Bjergsen was like top two for pretty much everyone, which is another reason why, why he ended up winning the vote. So I don't know. I don't really buy into the whole controversy i hope you found it interesting all the different ways that you make ballots i don't necessarily think that this ballot system is flawed i would have liked it if they would have found a way to pull in a much wider pool of people or a much smaller pool of people i think the the high emphasis on pros the the total number is like respectable it's about the same number of people that vote on the lcs award so i think it's enough to make like a good list but considering it's like this 10-year thing I would have loved if they could have cast a really wide net. But then the counter to that is like you're casting a super wide net and then you get voters like Dyrus who say they haven't watched League in four years and their vote's still counting. When really you want people that have been able to watch League for 10 years voting on the 10-year panel. But like I said, I actually think the list is quite good in terms of how my votes line up with the overall list. It's pretty close, and I think it still makes for good content and good conversation. I just would have done it personally slightly differently, but no major complaints, and I hope people found the the whole kind of format dive, deep dive I just did interesting. Okay, done with top 10. We're moving on to the LCS Championship 2022 Summer Split. And also... The biggest news of Tuesday that I didn't make a breaking news podcast about, Danny stepping down. That is crazy, right? He, he was like the pentakill prince, the guy who carried EG, or at least was given all the resources to then carry them in team fights, helped them to go 15-3, and three, helped them win spring split, and he's not going to be playing in finals weekend. You should go 
read the announcement from EG, from uh, their CEO, Nicole, mentions some mental health struggles. I don't have a huge amount of insight into it. If I did, I would not feel comfortable sharing. I don't necessarily think people should pry. But the things that we know is that his performance was severely impacted the past week or two. That's just from us watching. And it got to a point where he has decided not to play. So definitely send your support to Danny. And I would say send the support to the rest of the team because this is a very stressful and trying situation for all of them. And it also explains a lot of what we saw from EG the last two weeks. I was wondering why they spent the whole split funneling resources into Danny and then all of a sudden Impact is just playing Carrie's top lane. Danny's playing Seraphine and Misfortune and they're just banning out a bunch of stuff bot lane. And then in like the TSM game and the TL game, a lot of those early games really felt like they were 4v5. So weirdly enough, when you can be negative of this 15-3 and team dropping out of winner's bracket and then almost not making it to top three. But considering the circumstances, it's so hard to switch your carry and the play style you've been perfecting for like seven months and then still win. So they definitely have a tall task coming into this weekend. But again, I maybe have a fun story about a somewhat similar situation the Team Liquid experienced in the spring of 2021 when we rocked up to finals weekend with a completely different jungler. So those of you that remember, 2021 spring playoffs, winner's bracket final, we lose 3-1 to C9. At the time, it did feel weird to me. I felt like we just underperformed and I thought we just had an off day. But a couple of days later, uh, Lucas's migraines get very bad. He, you know, we kind of, as a group, take the decision that he needs to, to seek some medical advice and that we need to play with our Mayo. So we basically had almost no time to adjust. And if I remember correctly, we had Thursday and Friday that we knew about it. Friday, we literally have to go to the Greek theater to do this like tech check and make sure everything works and get checked in and all this stuff. And Thursday was like our only possible scrim day with our Mayo. And then Friday is like tech check and all this other stuff. So we ended up scrimming. I, I wish I knew the, I think this is the academy team's name, but it was an amateur team, no name that we scrimmed. And we also screamed 100 Thieves Academy. So we picked very easy scrim opponents. And I think I would do this again if I was to do it. I wouldn't try and scrim someone hard. Because especially when you're putting in a new element to the team like that, and you have such a short runway before you have to perform at a high level, like just get the reps in. Like see, see the ball go in the basket over and over again to build confidence. And I wrote about this in the 10 Thoughts as well. Like, if I were to now make some like rules of how to try and make this work, I would say 
You want to make the new player to the team as comfortable as possible, as opposed to trying to make that new player fit your existing system. I think there's two valid approaches, but this is the one I would choose, and here's why. I just think the four players that play together are going to just naturally be more malleable because they're reacting to fewer variables, whereas the new player is already like one, they're not an LCS player in the first place. Sometimes that's justified. Sometimes that's not. I feel like actually still currently Armeo is an LCS level player. A lot of people don't, but I had the confidence that he could perform as an LCS player, but still you want to make things as simple as possible for their integration because they're already dealing with four new players. Everyone else is only dealing with one new player. So the amount of change that the other people are capable of within the game is just higher than the original jungler. So what we did is we just told Armeo to do exactly what he wanted to do. Everyone else is going to follow. Be decisive. Call objectives. Like literally do your thing. Other people will follow you. Right? Second thing, make your scrim opponents easy. That's what we did. We won every single scrim. And then also unite around the adversity. Like I had one-on-ones with every single player, very quick conversations just to talk about like, do you think we can win with our Mayo? I think he's good. What do you think? And that flow of conversation that not necessarily exactly what I said, but everyone actually said like, yeah, actually he's good. We had the benefit of actually playing some scrims in spring split with him while Santorin had not cleared his visa and wasn't in the US yet. So we had actually won some lock-in games with him earlier on in the split. So everyone was like, yeah, we can win with them. And then we rocked up on Saturday. We beat TSM 3-1. And then we rocked up on Sunday and we went up 2-1 in the finals against C9. And I still kick myself that we didn't close out that series because holy crap, I feel like it was close. But I'm sure C9 also thinks that there were games that they could have won or done better in to make it not a 3-2. But damn, like that would have still been one of the sweetest wins. Anyway, I think the whole point there is the other four players on EG, much like I think the other four players on TL at the time of 2021, are really, really strong and are very capable of still winning the whole thing. So Cowrie, the Academy 80 carry, was very good in Academy. When I would talk to people and talk about the, the, like, the best 80 carries of Academy, it was like Yawn and Cowrie were right on that list. So he may not be like, quote, ready to come in now, but he definitely has the skills and the expectations for him are low, which I think will help him perform and might even help all of EG perform now that they're not being seen as this MSI king spring split champion number one seed, but instead they are seen as this lower bracket team trying to be scrappy once again like the way they were seen in spring when they actually 6-0'd finals weekend. So really, actually very excited to see how this works out for EG. They're, quote, safe that they are in worlds, but damn, you definitely want to be able to win two splits in a row. And the four players that are been playing with EG all year, they don't want this to end at that moment. So sad to hear the Danny news. Really sad that this team could not just keep the momentum throughout the whole year. And they've been hit with this level of adversity. But doesn't mean it's the end. Okay, next team. 100 Thieves. 
this is fairly quick, but I think it's a kind of cool point. So they're very good at making the other team uncomfortable. And I wrote about this in the past and talked about it, how a lot of the LCS teams don't hold 100 Thieves in high regard because they just beat 100 Thieves so often in scrims. And also, like, Team Liquid was a team that teams did hold in very high regard because they would win, like, 75% of their scrims. And they were very try-hard in scrims and very good at executing. But also, like, being behind the scenes and playing scrims for, like, 16 months as, as I was a coach, like, I can say that a lot of scrims end early. It is, as much as you try and replicate stage play, scrims are just always going to be more aggressive. People are always going to limit test more in lane. There's always going to be more kills. And that is naturally just going to mean games are shorter. So the average length of scrims is about 25 minutes. Now the average length of an LCS game is about 34 minutes. And this is the point that I was kind of writing about is... I think 100 Thieves after 25 minutes are the best. Part of that is because they have been the same five players for a year and a half and Closer, FBI, Huhi have been together for two and a half years. So these are the moments that you can't practice for because they generally only happen on stage. And when you look at the way that 100 Thieves plays, they just kind of stay with you for 25 minutes and then they beat your ass like that's when I feel like they're able to take over and no one can get practice against it because they play like monkeys and scrims man but on stage they play so conservatively so they have this switch that they're able to play that they're able to use and it's been six like it's it's been working for them for a year and a half if they win against EG it'll be their third finals in a row and just like just pay attention to to what happens after 25 minutes because they are very very good together at playing out at playing out in the late game. All right, next thought. Why has Cloud9 been so good? Like really think about it long term. Are they the greatest org in the history of the LCS? This is like a whole other podcast and I haven't done my stack ranking and a bunch of stats for every team but there was a, I got a random Twitter DM. So this is not a Jat stat. This is a Chris stat, the guy who DM'd me. And he said, hey, did you know C9 has made finals every single year of LCS? And I went, holy shit, wait a minute. That's true. They've made finals 10 straight years. You know how crazy that is? No one in the LEC has done that. No one in the LPL has done that. No one in the LCK has done that. Need to double check the LCK one. But it just feels so crazy to me. Because they've gone through so many different roster iterations. It began with high, medios, balls, sneaky, elimination. But then, like, eventually that roster reached its expiration. And they just never had... They never had an extended dip. They always found their way to a finals. They did the whole perks experiment last year, won a split right? Get rid of perks, do the LS thing, have Summit win MVP, get them off the team. They bring it back once again to finals. 10 years in a row. It's so impressive. So, I don't have much on this other than that that's crazy. 
and they do a few things different than other orgs. Like as much people meme on the C9 systems, those are probably some pretty good systems. Any team would like to have those systems and go to finals every single year. They also have, they still use the gaming house model. Like it's still like the C9 lifestyle. Coaches got to live there. Players got to live there. It does have its pros. So the results for C9, they speak for themselves. They're so good. Okay. That's the 10 years. Why is specifically this C9 doing well? Last week, I talked about Jensen. I had some theories on his ability to actually refresh over spring split. And then also the larger question of like, how do teams actually improve? And why are scrims not currently an ideal environment for improvement? I think there's a lot of things that happen with team reviews that are super suboptimal. And there's a lot of really ingrained cultural things across almost all regions of League of Legends and a lot of teams. And it's somewhat effective, but I think that's actually the space where the most innovation can happen. I don't have the solutions for that innovation, but that was, that's just one thing. C9 seems to be doing well, solving those problems, but just like literally in pick ban, they're really good. So fudge has the best champion pool for this patch. He plays counters to the big meta picks. Like you're picking Orin, he can punish with Camille. You pick Aatrox, he can punish with Fiora. You ban the Fiora, he has another counter pick for Aatrox. He probably has multiple counter picks for Orin as well. They also flex pick Sejuani, which a lot of teams haven't been doing. I mean, someday started practicing Sejuani immediately after their series because it was a draft, you know, draft issue for 100 Thieves that they weren't flexing the Sejuani between mid and jungle and, and Sinai's was, so 100 Thieves had to ban it. You look at Berserker, He's the best team fighting AD carry, for sure, especially with Danny not playing. Danny's the best team fighting AD carry, and he loves all the trades. He'll take Sivir, you take Zeri. He'll take Zeri, you take Sivir. He wins both sides, right? You didn't ban Callista, he'll win the game. He'll play against Callista with the Felios. It did not work against FBI for what it's worth, but he is still a very, very good at Felios, and I think that can work with the right team comps. And then Zven... He plays all the stuff he needs to. Renata, Lulu, Yumi. You can just kind of play those three with the current meta 80 carries and you're good. And it's weirdly like super convenient that this is the split Zven roll swaps, like the split of enchanters, because we were stuck in a tank support meta for like five years. So a lot of the supports were not good at enchanters because they literally were never allowed to play them. But now is the split where they become good again. So it's it's actually good timing for him. Jensen is back on the Blancazir, Oriana Zillion. Super solid at all those. They fit very well in the current meta and team comps. And all those things combined just make them the most flexible team in draft. And it's giving them a big advantage in, in these series and is a large part of why they're in the, the finals. So that's, that's a lot of thoughts on the three teams that are here. I, I got some predictions. I'm going to I'm going to try and predict the weekend. But I need to I need to again make a confe- a prediction confection. I was the only analyst to correctly predict EG to beat 100 Thieves in the spring finals. But before the show, when the producers asked me for the prediction, I said 100 Thieves 3-1. That's what everybody was saying. 
I didn't know the other analyst predictions. I hadn't seen the crowd reaction or the body language of the teams coming on stage. So like, this was the most last minute secret flip-flop I've ever done. As the predictions are going down the line and I'm like, oh no, everyone is predicting 100 Thieves. I just texted the producer and switched my prediction to EG. 3-1. Does that count? probably not, but it was correct. And it never officially registered on broadcast that I picked 100 Thieves. And for what it's worth, I did see the energy that EG had on stage and the support they had from the fans. I'm like, holy crap, this could actually make the difference. And it did. So we'll see. But also I could make a prediction here. And then if new information comes in, I still might change my mind. Okay. So 100 Thieves, versus EG on Saturday. Weirdly, I do have faith in Cowrie, but more so, I have faith in Impact, Inspired, JoJo, and Vulcan. It has, this whole year, been about the synergy of the five players. JoJo and Danny have been the big stories. Danny had the pentakill. JoJo is a great trash talker, very good mid laner, but Inspire is going to win MVP. Impact, Impact had the most incredible week. He completely had a different responsibility in the game and still knocked TL out of this. And then Vulcan has just been super solid the whole time. So, like, literally, their whole team is super good. Kauri, I think, is pretty good. I think it can work. But also, every single lower bracket series, how is this possible? Every single lower bracket series has gone to five games. So why would this be any time to change? My prediction is EG3-2. And then, how big is the lower bracket buff? I did some digging. There have been five playoffs since the LCS switched to double elimination in only two of those five splits has the team from the upper bracket won the finals? 60%. Losers bracket momentum, pretty good. However, the two teams to win from the upper bracket was 2020 C9 and 2021 C9. Will it happen for 2022 C9? Small difference. It was spring, spring. Now it's summer. But, you know, I like it. Come on. C9 Systems. I'm going C9, 3-1, no matter who they play against. That's my prediction. May or may not stick to it. But thank you for making it through to me. 35 minutes in. We did top 10 players. We did 10 thoughts. And we're going to have a good weekend of League of Legends. I can feel it. Saturday and Sunday. I will see you there. And then for this podcast, I will see you again Monday morning, 6 a.m. to break it all down. Thanks for watching. See you then.